Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Italian Wine Podcast, as Wine to Wine 2020 media partner, is proud to present a series of sessions chosen to highlight key themes and ideas and recorded during the two-day event held on November 23rd and 24th, 2020. Wine to Wine 2020 represented the first ever fully digital edition of the Business to Business Forum. Visit winetowine.net and make sure to attend future editions of Wine to Wine Business Forum. Good morning and welcome everybody. Um, welcome to this session of um, Wine to Wine. This one is titled Hacking the Wine Culture in Africa. And before I go into the nitty gritty of today's discussion, I would like to first give a shout out to the organizers of this event, Wine to Wine, Verona Fieri. Um, in times like this, when the world seems isolated, where the fabric of our identity as humans is imbued by the coronavirus pandemic, um, it's only necessary that initiatives like this that brings a sense of community, of communal living to the world is, is in the forefront. So thank you very much, Verona Fieri. Thank you very much, Wine to Wine. Thank you very much for the business forum. Today we'll be talking about hacking the wine culture in Africa, and I'm very excited with um, the guests that we've got here today. I will be introducing you to Mr. Tinashe. Mr. Tinashe is the owner, the director of Kumashi Wines in South Africa. Now, um, his wines are extremely iconic. I've looked at it, I've seen it myself. He's got a very good distribution in African markets, also in the US and in the Netherlands. He's been able to act the wine culture. When you move from 6,000 bottles to 65,000 bottles, that's a big hack. So we want to hear his experience. We want him to share his experience with us. And let's see if this, we could learn a few things that could help us to better perform in the African markets. Mr. Tinashe, the floor is yours. Please introduce yourself to the audience. Thank you, Tammy, for having me, and uh, thanks for Wine to Wine Business Forum for this opportunity to share my own knowledge and experience as well. Uh, so yeah, uh, I'm Tinashe Nyamdoka, uh, founder and director of Kumusha Wines. Make my wines in South Africa, uh, but I'm exporting to Zimbabwe, Kenya, uh, the United States, and a bit of the Netherlands. So I'm just going to share a quick background on Kumusha wines and, and what I thought it was different to kind of get into it and how I managed to, to hack into the wine business. So I'm going to be sharing my screen now for a while. So just bear with me. There you go. So this is Kumusha wines. Uh, Kumusha means, it's a Zimbabwean Shona name. It means your home, your roots, or your origin. And I always felt men without a cultural context is lost. And why all individual culture uh, expression is dead. So I started this uh, wine brand in 2017 when I was still working as a sommelier at the Test Kitchen restaurant in Cape Town. And I only had 1,200 bottles to start off with. It was a Chenin Blanc and Semio blend. I was getting it from Opstal Estate in the Slanguk uh, in South Africa. Uh, and, you know, I started to have a very cult following, uh, following the demand. I had an upsurge in Zimbabwe, 
then in 2020, I did a whole packaging design. And in 2020 alone, I would have produced, by the end of December, close to 70,000 bottles. So this is a jump from 1,000 bottles in 2017 to, to 65,000 in, in a year three. And my first export to the United States was this year. Uh, and I've been doing a lot of business in Zimbabwe with liquor supplies, Netherlands and in Kenya, like I just mentioned. And what was the reason for the growth? Uh, and for me, I think it's part of the why I'm in this discussion where I say it's all about hacking the African culture. So I did a rebranding earlier this year. So on the left, you see my old old label, which was a depiction of my old grandfather's homestead in Zimbabwe, which is a typical African home. You're going to see a rendezvous. You're going to see, uh, you know, I'm talking rural, not, not in, 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 the, in, the, in the States. So you're going to see chickens all around. Uh, and, and I thought this is something we should connect to a more broader African people, especially to, to the Zimbabwean crowd, because everyone understands what Kumusha is. And Kumusha is much more... Empiferal is it's 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 a it's a way of understanding the person's origins or the person's home. So I, I felt if I could connect with people in that way, I could really draw them into enjoying wine. And obviously, COVID hit and lockdown. So this this really allowed me to get because I was I was failing to get into the traditional markets. They didn't understand the story. They didn't understand everything. So with COVID and lockdown, it gave us more access to internet. And I was big on social media. I would get much more orders via social media platforms. I would get much more connections via social media platforms. And my online sales in South Africa grew exponentially. So, because people were really getting uh, to know the brand. And obviously, the Black Lives Matter campaign really increased my brand awareness. And it really made the American demand surge. And locally, people are looking for great, authentic, and, and wonderful wine brands to support. So I wouldn't say Black Lives Matter was an advantage. Like I rightly say, it increased the awareness for my brand, which was a good brand in, in it as well. So I think three of those is, is probably the reason I, I, I can explain to the growth in those three years. And this is the range of wines I had, uh, all classic labels, all beautiful different price ranges, uh, and all telling a different story as well. So six in the range I produce now, uh, all sold in America, uh, like I said, and, and mostly in Zimbabwe. And uh, Zimbabwe. So Zimbabwe is my home. I was born and bred in Zimbabwe, moved down to South Africa in 2008. So Zimbabwe is not a general wine drinking population, but with, with so much of us being scattered around the world, I think we've picked up this wine culture and some of us are getting back home. So there, there is an increase of expatriates going back home to settle home. And since they have enjoyed wine, you know, they're appreciating wine much, much more better. And with the social media, Instagrams and the food culture improving, there is a quite a stage of, of, of wine consumption in Zimbabwe. I can't really pinpoint uh, the number of... Uh, in statistics and figures, you see, you see Zimbabwe is it's a very difficult country as, at the moment. So most of the stuff is happening informally. Uh, but and I think the question which people ask is, can we get our money if, we, if we're exporting to Zimbabwe? Well, yes, I'm getting money uh, because most of these companies have set up uh, accounts, foreign accounts outside. So 
payment can be easy if you can deliver the product. So big wine campus in Zimbabwe, probably Stables Winery, Big Five Wineries, uh, Drop Impost, the one I worked with, uh, Victoria Falls Likorama, mostly in the northern part of, of, of Zimbabwe, the tourist side. Uh, then you've got Elixa, which is bringing quite a lot of uh, uh, European varietals, especially Italian wines. Uh, Prosecco is probably the number one selling wine uh, in Zimbabwe at the moment in terms of sparkling wine. Then, I, like I said, there's uh, informal players. Uh, they call them runners. So these people would buy stuff in Johannesburg, put on a truck. Uh, so they are really a lot of small players. But if you combine them in one basket, you'd find that they're probably supplying half of the liquor industry in Zimbabwe at the moment. So that's Zimbabwe in a brief. Uh, there's really a growing demand of wine. I'm doing probably at the moment, Zimbabwe is the second uh, largest importer of my wine by volume and, and value as well. So I can safely say I'm getting paid and there is a growing demand for wines in Zimbabwe. Uh, mostly in the black middle class and ex-expats rates, uh, uh, on the you know traditional white Drinkers were white, were white, white, white people in Zimbabwe, but mostly because it was relatively easy to travel to Mozambique for holidays, they tend to drink quite a lot of uh, Portuguese wines. And these Portuguese wines most probably are coming through the runners through the border town of Mutare, but there is quite a demand of those. Uh, Castle Garcia, Mateo Rosé is really doing fantastic in Zimbabwe as well. So like I said, for me, hacking the culture was, was speaking wine in an, in an African way. I always felt the wine language was so Eurocentric. I struggled also grasping the whole concept of, uh, you know, blackberries, blackcurrants, when I, I had never even tasted a blackcurrant. So I felt there was need for wine communication, which spoke in an African way. And also that we needed to drink wines in our own, in our own spaces, uh, in our own cultural way. Like I said, our background doesn't come on a formal dining restaurant per se, but we as Africans like to get together. You know, we love to drink wines formally. We want to drink in groups. And I felt no one was marketing wines for that in our own way. So I got around with, with, with friends and, and, and other creatives who would really put that setup I wanted. And the picture you're finding is it's a good friend of mine who does events in Limpopo, she got her all her friends from different tribes in South Africa and they're enjoying Kumusha wine and they actually requested wine. And when these pictures show, everyone felt comfortable in drinking their own wine. And another aspect which is really big all over Africa is we, we always have white weddings, but they definitely have to be a traditional wedding where people wear African attire and people wear, you know, they really, it's more closed family. Uh, the exchange of money, Lobola, we call it, Rora, we call it. So I felt, and I was getting quite a lot of requests when people wanted to do an African uh, traditional thing, but they also, they, were, they couldn't find the wine which spoke in their Africanness way. So one of my biggest uh, drinkers of wine and takers of wine are, you know, Africans doing their traditional weddings, be it in Ghana, be it Nigeria, Zimbabwe, South Africa. And that's just a classic example of, of, how you can fit in with your brands in terms of speaking the right language and knowing the culture per se. Uh, and this is quite something I did recently on my previous trip to Zimbabwe, uh, you know, honoring our local vegetables and honoring the, the different methods of cooking. Here I was cooking in a clay pot. I'm going to play it for a while.
So this really, when I really posted it out on my social media, the amount of engagement I got with people missing home, people missing their grandparents, people missing their roots, and actually tasting the food from, from the clay pot. So it really connected with brand Kumosha, and I think that's hacking the, the African culture, speak their language with something we're used to, something we, we formerly used to. And I think it goes on to say that the African culture is just more than about wine. So I was on the same trip. I went to a coffee plantation where my grand, grandmother grows coffee and it's the same way. So again, it's, it's, it's touching to the Africanness in us, uh, talking our language, but still incorporating the, the modern world to, to really capture and captivate the audience. So this is what I've been trying to do. And on top of that, I'm, I've started describing my wines with flavors I grew up used to in Zimbabwe, where I almost equate them to, to the traditional European uh, uh, fruits and aromas so that I can get connection to my to my uh, to my customer base, you know, it's like like a wild lockwood, you know, comparing to some apricots. I've got some wild hute, you know, blackberry. So this this has allowed me to really interact and make the African culture them to drink wine without being worried about being wrong with not picking strawberries and all. So yeah, basically that's how I've been hacking the culture with uh, Kumusha wine, and. Uh, and yeah, it's it's been working well. Like I say, it's 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 traced. It's, it's it's trusted because I'm really getting the sales. And in the next year, probably going to be tripling production. And it's it's the same same lineup. Even wherever you go, I I, I spoke of Zimbabwe, but Africa is just one in terms of culture and experiences as well. Mr. Tanasha, thank you extremely well. Um, I picked up a few points from your presentation now. The story. How would you advise European wineries to communicate their wines in going into Africa? Because I think that one of the things from the way you've acted the culture is to re-represent the wines to people in a way that they would best understand. Yeah. I think that's a bit lacking from where we sit as European wineries. How do you how do you explain this to them? What's your advice to them to better communicate to the African people? You know, the best communication is not to treat wine as a as a as, as a product when you're selling to these people. You know, it's it's a. I felt most of the wineries are, are selling wine and they're not selling an experience. You know, mm, interesting. If you find if you whatever they're selling in other markets, there's a food component to it. There's an experience to it, but. Whenever it comes to Africa, it's just, guys, people drink wine and expect to find this. So I think that the, the, the best way is to sell the experience. You can sell the, 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 the Italian experience, cooking pasta, uh, but sell it as an experience how you can incorporate you know, African flavors in the, in the Italian cooking, there, thereby you're connecting and you're just not selling a product uh, what's just in the bottle. So I think the best way is to sell experience and try to connect with African experiences. Thank you so much. That's so perfect. You, you, uh, from the labels of your wines, I see that they are all classic labels. 
You've yes. not got anything funky, anything too youthful, anything to you don't have this because in Italy now we see a lot of bottles that are painted, coated bottles and all that. Yeah. And does do, are you saying that those kind of styling does not work in Africa or does not necessarily work or is, this is just your own way of communicating to the people? Yeah, to be honest, I don't think it works because if you it, it's another cultural thing. How okay. many did you grow up with a painting in my house? I never grew up into painting. I love paintings, I love art, but I can't really connect and interpret with it. So I don't think that will work as African. I think the simpler and the more clearer and the more classic the label is and easy to understand, the better. Interesting. Um, before we go to the week, we have some questions on the, on the charts. But before we go into that, I just want to ask a few more questions so that we'll be clear on this. Now, if you leave South Africa and go a little bit up to, to the east, to the west, actually, you're in uh, Namibia. Yeah. Now, that's a former German colony. Yeah. A different language, a different people. If you go up to the east, you're in Mozambique. Yes. That's Portuguese. Yes. And then you're coming from South Africa, which is originally English. If you go farther away onto the oceans, you're in Madagascar, and that's French. Mm. Now, these various backgrounds and orientations, does this apply also in the way we present the wines to the markets? Is this a factor? Yeah, like at the end of the day, you know, you every wine has its origins, you know. Okay. Uh, wine of origin, Italy, Veneto, wine of origin, South Africa. And, and wine has to honor that. But I think when it comes to selling, try to make the origin uh, be of the place where the wine is going or the place where the wine is going to be sold. That's mm. why, what, what I found easy for me. So in, in doing so, you don't have to worry about the difference in languages, difference in cultures. Once you know the origin, where you're going, it makes it easy for you to tell the story because you understand. So it goes back to me, not just dumping wine and selling wine as a product. Otherwise, you won't make the connection. So for me, I think let's find the other origin of where the wine is being consumed and what, what that experience is that wine does to them. So language and, and culture then doesn't become a barrier because everyone wants to drink good wine. And if you have good wine, that's what you want. Thank you very much. Finally, what's your biggest challenge in the business? What's your biggest challenge in the market in Africa? Uh, the biggest challenge in Africa has been moving uh, the product. Uh, you know, it, it, it's quite like I've got a sh uh, container going into Kenya now, which is stuck, and my importer had to air freight it. So it's, it's quite it's quite difficult, the logistics uh, and, and some cost involved. But I think if you work with a seasoned uh, importer and distributor, it's all smooth and plain. When I started in Zimbabwe, it was quite difficult, but my new importer, very smooth. And my new importer in Kenya is very smooth as well. But I just think the challenge is getting the products from A to B. From point A to B. Thank you very much, Mr. Tanashi. It's been fantastic talking to you. Now we'll you. go to the chat. I'll read out the questions and we'll try as much as possible to give answers to the questions that we have. My first question is from Alexis. He says, what are the most important markets slash countries in Africa? And what's the turnover in terms of volume and volume? Your most important markets, uh, I would like to share a few words on this. Bob, you go first, sir. Uh, I think the most important for me has been uh, 
Zimbabwe. And like is that because you are Zimbabwean and you understand the market best or because it's just uh, a market for wines? I think, to be honest, it was just pretty much from the from a clean slate. Uh, that didn't help me much, but I think because of the brand and the story, it's quite picking up very well. Uh, my second biggest coming up very quickly is, is Kenya as well. Uh, like I say, I'm a, I'm a very small brand at the moment, but in terms of Kumusha wines, I think... In the last three months, I've what turned over twelve thousand bottles alone in Zimbabwe, okay. uh, which is what almost close to in, in run terms three hundred thousand rands. And this is just a space of three months. I've got an, another pending order coming through, and same as Kenya. So, and in South Africa, another big one. But obviously, as a big country, I'm still not into the uh, value chain in terms of retail and distribution. Thank okay. you. Yeah. Interesting. Um, just to add a few words to that, as um, t- as you know, Timmy works with Zonin, um, and I'm also responsible for the for the wine um, sales into Africa. So the biggest market for Italian wines going into Africa right now, South Africa still remains number one, followed by Nigeria, and then you've got runners like Kenya and Ghana doing very well as well. So, but your top five markets would be uh, South Africa, Nigeria, Kenya, uh, Cote d'Ivoire, and um, I think the fifth one would be you, you, you're struggling with Ghana or Ghana there. So that's the biggest five markets for, for Italian wines going into Africa. In terms of turnover, in terms of volume and value, um, I like to stick with value. Turnover for value for Italian wines going into Africa right now. If I look at the full picture, um, Italian wines should come should be about sixty million US dollars going into the whole continent. No, I mean sorry, the wine portfolio going into the continent should be about that. For the Italian categories, you're you're down with about five to six million US dollars going into Africa right now. Um, Another question we've got is, so people want to know which country do you start your distribution of your wines from? And is language a barrier for Italian wine producers? Well, so I started my, the first was Zimbabwe, obviously. Uh, Then now Kenya, I'm going into Rwanda. And I don't think language is is not a barrier at all. Uh, You know, Africa most, most probably... People speak English and they might interpret uh, Italian as well. But I say, uh, and I'll repeat again, language and, 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 bar- and, and, you know, either way, it's not a barrier. As long as you can communicate well and try to create experiences and understand the African culture. Interesting. Well, from, from where I sit, and uh, it's actually been a barrier to, to Italian producers. For example, uh, most of the labels of our wines are in Italian. And then if you want to export to countries like Kenya, like Cameroon, oh. Kenya would mandate you, SGS would mandate you yeah. to have that label translated Indeed. into English. Yeah. And then that's you must have a sticker, a, a sticker saying that alcohol is prohibited for people under 18 and all that behind it. So the Italian classic labeling does not really work in many markets. Cameroon would have to be translated into French. If yeah. you want to export to Nigeria, you have to do NAFDAQ, and that would need you to translate that also into English. English yeah. So language is quite a barrier. Um, in starting your distribution, my advice is for you to identify the top markets that you are willing to invest in, and then start from there. There are markets that I call no-doubt markets. 
the market that hold node, nodes in different parts of Africa. For example, Nigeria is the nodal market to West Africa. Um, Kenya is nodal to East Africa and South Africa to Southern Africa. If you can start your distribution, if, you, if you're willing to go through the huddle and start your distribution from these nodal markets, it's easy to expand into other markets from there. Yeah. And as Minister Tanashi had rightly pointed out before, logistics is a big problem. But if you've got distribution in South Africa, it's easy for you to get the ones into Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe, into exactly, Namibia, into Mozambique, into Zambia, into Zimbabwe. So that's basically uh, my our response to that. The third question is, what is the role of SOMS? And I'd like Mr. T Mr. Tanashi to answer. <laughs> yeah, so so, so I think that. Yeah, so in, in, in general, in Africa, I think that the profession is still in its infancy. Uh, like I've been in South Africa and probably the bulk of the sommeliers on the African continent are based in South Africa. So are the top restaurants in, in the African continent as well. But I think now we've just recently adopted Zimbabwe into the Association Sommelier of uh, International. So the SOM culture is increasing. And whilst it's increasing, obviously, the knowledge will increase as well. So in South Africa, the profession is really, really strong and is going stronger and it's got much more dividends in terms of the wines produced. But the rest of Africa, I still, we're trying to get it into Zimbabwe, but Mauritius, they've got an association and Kenya is another gateway where a lot of our WSET courses are there. And I see the question, which was Ask, uh, you know, answer it as well. So WSET is making inroads in South, Af in South Africa and Africa as a general. Uh, I think it's the standard uh, form of qualification you can get. But in South Africa, because it's much more advanced in terms of restaurants and, and wines, uh, there's, there's Cape Wine Academy, uh, and there's, yeah, sommelier, there's a sommelier academy. So there's quite a lot. But I think uh, WSET is, is, is much more internationally recognized. Okay, to, to just to add a little bit to that, uh, away from the role of songs, I think that one one winery that has really done very well, a foreign winery that has really done very well in Africa is CYT, Conchai Toro. And what Conchai Toro did was not to use songs, but to use brand ambassadors. So what they did was to every nodal market in Africa, they send a representative of the winery to act as brand ambassadors there. So currently in Africa, I think they've got about six brand ambassadors. They've got one in Nigeria, one in Ghana, someone in Kenya, someone in Southern Africa. And then these guys play the role, most of them are sommeliers as well. So they play the role of introducing the wines to the people and trying to get um, the wines, explain the wines in a way that merges with the culture of the people. And I think this is something that Italian wineries should also look at, establishing brand ambassadors also on the African continent. Because... Italy, Italian wines are quite a bit difficult to explain because we've got many denominations, we've got many grape varieties. It's quite a bit te technical. Every region has its own wines. And then you're an expert on the wines of the regions that you deal in. So in order to get more uh, experience, as Mr. Tanashi had said earlier, to get more wine experience with the people, it's, it's, it's easier to have these wine ambassadors that visit the market and then explain the wines to people, find a way to blend it with the culture of the people, and then the people would appreciate it more. That's just yeah. more. Yeah. Question four, which you've practically answered, but I'll read it. Uh, what is the wine education like in Africa? Is WESCT uh, a theme, or is just something similar locally? Uh, Mr. Tinashe had said it, WSET is still the theme, also in Africa. 
some parts have got their own regional thing, like South Africa with the Cape Wine Academy, Kenya with the Kenyan Somalia Association and all that. So regionally, you've got some things. And I think Cameroon also has got some something linked with France. Um, but then it's just focused on French wine. It's like a French wine academy thing. So I think that's the... Mr. Tinashe, you want to add something to that? Or should we go to the fifth question? Yeah, I think we've answered it all. Okay, so the fifth question says, and that's to follow up on the first question by Alexis, what are the most important wine e-commerce markets in Africa? And the knowledge of the wine consumer per geography. This is from Joseph. So, Mr. Tinashe, please. Yeah, I think, you know, e-commerce in, in Africa in general is still, <laughs> is still very, very slow. But I think uh, markets like South Africa are picking up well. I've recently started a, a startup, e-commerce startup called Somon Call, which is in the last month and is really doing well. And I would really believe in countries like uh, Kenya, it will really grow up as well. Most probably Ghana because they're a bit much more tech advanced and Rwanda as well. Uh, but to say they're important wine e-commerce, I think e-commerce in general in, in, in Africa is still in its infancy. But top of my head, I'll say South Africa, followed by Kenya, and maybe a bit of Ghana and Rwanda. Thank you very much. And the knowledge of wine consumers by geography. Ah, <laughs> it depends. <laughs> with, you know, most African know what they want and what they want to taste in the wine. But in terms of understanding the, the wines in general, I think South Africa is a bit ahead. Zimbabwe is catching up. Uh, again, Kenya, Ghana, and probably Rwanda. Okay. Um, we will move fast because of time. Mm. But for, for, for the question Mr. Tinashe just um, answered now, one of the biggest big, uh, e-commerce chains in, in Africa for last year and early this year was Juma, Jumia. Yeah. Now, Jumia's got a very big wine portfolio, but recently also they're struggling. That, that we can attribute that to COVID, you can attribute that to how difficult it is to, to buy wines on online and all and other stuff. They do be on wines. But yes, the biggest e-commerce market for Africa as of date remains Kenya and South Africa. Those are the big players. Wine knowledge for geography, South Africa leads the pack. Kenya has got a very big it's, um, Italian um residency. A lot of Italians are in Kenya. And because of that, Kenya has also got a very good wine knowledge. Um, the French-speaking markets have very good wine knowledge because they come from that French origin, that French um, antecedent. So you markets like Cameroon, Cote d'Ivoire are very big on French wines, and so they've got that also. Question six says, are there any resources that could help those of us educating about wine learn more about the African wine culture to guide us and give us more understanding. That's from Rebecca. Yeah, I, th I don't think there, there is any resources. Uh, very great, regretful that Africans weren't documenting, but I think the easiest way you can do is if you're going in a country, at least try to find out the local fruits they eat, uh, the local spices they eat, the local food they eat. Then you can always tailor-made your, your, your communication against that. Uh, and the, in the local cultures, I think it's stuff you can really Google and find around. But I think the most important is the local fruits and spices and herbs and plants that you can relate uh, and that they understand a bit much more better. And I'll just jump on to question number seven before the time Please goes go out, which is yeah. the, the, the factors influencing the pressures of Italian wines. I think in 
in South Africa, it's probably Prosecco, Prosecco, Prosecco <laughs> influence. But I think if you can like really build up on the success of Prosecco and why people think it's light and delicious, I think Italian wines can really build on that. But I also, in Africa, price really matters. So, you know, the more affordable, the more easy it is. Uh, but I think just banging on Prosecco and building from there. In South Africa, it's quite different because people are purchasing in terms of they're much more knowledgeable and there's easy access of a variety of Italian wines as well. Thank you very much, Mr. Tanashi. I'd just like to add something to that. I think that one of the biggest mistakes I see on the shelf, because every time I go into a new country in Africa, the first place I go to is the supermarkets. And then before I go to the restaurants and the hotel, just to look at what the shelf is like for, for the wine assortments. The biggest mistake that Italian producers make in Africa is they are not aware of self. Self-awareness is very key in this business. Understand what you're good at. Understand what the business is. Then stay, stick to that. I see a lot of Italian producers trying to produce something that looks French because they've been to Cote d'Ivoire and said that uh, French wine sell. But it doesn't work that way. Italian producers try to produce something that looks South African. It doesn't work that way. People love Italy. People expect that products that come from Italy have this authentic originality. Italian producers need to stick to that. If you're about Policella producer, produce about Policella wines. If you make Prosecco, as Mr. Tanasha said, just stick to the Prosecco. And don't try to make something MCC sounding, then it's now Prosecco, then it's now this. It's all a mess. And price, yes. But we need to understand that if you look at the market as a cheap market, there is no way we would ever play in that market because we cannot compete with the Spanish producers. You cannot compete with the South African producers that have got SADC and have paid low taxes on, on their wines. You just need to be aware of what you have and find how best to reach out to the people. Communication is very key in this business, especially with the African people. Thank you very much, Tinashe. We will conclude now. Just to recap on what we've discussed about, we said one of the points that we need to know as Italian producers is to communicate how best to communicate with the people. How do you project the wines before the people? How best do you share an experience with the people? Convey an experience, not just a product. Don't throw a product before them. Try to convey an experience. Try to tell your stories in ways that um, relates to the people. Um, your labels are very important. Classic labels still works. Let's not try to push this funky looking things. Africans expect that wines coming from Europe are wines coming from Europe. They look classy. And then they respect that and they're willing to pay for that. Um, Prosecco still leads the Italian wine park. If you want to get into the market and you're a Prosecco producer, push that forward, please. Uh, <laughs> all right. So at this point, we close. Thank you very much. It's been fantastic having you, Mr. Tinashe. It's been a fantastic having your question to the audience also. Um, for me, it's goodbye, Mr. Tinashe. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, all the best with the rest of the sessions. Thank you. Awesome. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, chin chin.